This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Reading from chapter 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Jesus with his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to him, Whose likeness and inscription is on this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. You pray with me. God, attend to your word. May you come in power and in truth. May your Holy Spirit come. May the words of my mouth and meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. O God, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. So something you may or may not know about me and our family, we like riddles and jokes. Doesn't mean I'm good at them, but I like them. Uh, you know those trick questions that, that get you thinking, that kind of gets you stirring a little bit where you're like, I, I feel like I should know this. I should know this answer, but you're not really sure, right? So once upon a time, my, my kids, we would play this game. Um, they, would, they had this book of riddles and jokes, and, and they would try to stump me, right? They would, they would ask me a question, and we may or may not have kept score. For every one that I got right, I got a point, and for every one that I missed, they got a point. And that was just something that we did. They would ask me these questions, and, 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 and it, was, it was fun for all parties, right? We were like, okay, what's going to happen? What is the turn here? How is this going to play out? Again, we didn't really keep score, but I definitely won, and, <laughs> and it was good time. So, so riddles, those, those tricks, those questions, they can, they can take us to places. They can expose certain things. Uh, what you should also know about me is I'm a fan of trivia. Doesn't mean I'm good at it, but I can appreciate it, right? I can appreciate uh, those who are good at it. Now, once upon a time, there was this TV show that was on ESPN. Uh, some of you guys might have seen it, maybe not. It was called Stump the Schwab. I said that correctly, Stump the Schwab. Uh, it ran for four seasons. It was a trivia show, all sports. And, and it was a, a game show against ESPN's guru, his name was Howie Schwab. He was their first statistician they ever hired. And the things that this guy knew was amazing. I mean, he, he could literally regurgitate numbers and, and statistics uh, better than anyone I've ever seen or experienced. I mean, it was one of those things I would watch the show and be in awe of. And so they built a whole show around everyone studying like they're studying for the MCAT, coming to try to uh, come at Howie Schwab and stump the Schwab, right? 
And it was impressive how he would win four out of every one that he lost. So he did lose. But I still remember to this day thinking about some of those questions that he missed or some of those questions that he lost. Inevitably, it would be in this impossible question that would take him down. You need an example? I get that. Me too. Alvin Robinson, what was his single season steal record? That was the question. It was a number. It was a guess a number. It's not multiple choice. Just guess the number. And, and the, someone about guess. What was it? What'd you guess? 29? I'm okay with that. The number was 301. <laughs> um, right? But it, it was very specific. And, and, and the reason he lost was someone got closer than he did. Right? Uh, someone got a little bit, it was a contest of knowing, a contest of cleverness, of value, right? And for these sports fanatics, they devoured random sports information that you probably would never use anywhere else except in a trivia space so that they could come and go after Howie Schwab, so they could stump the Schwab and prove to the entire world that they were better than Howie. It's all they wanted. It was an interesting show. You see where I'm going yet? (laughs) Jesus this morning, he was a revolutionary in his teachings. They were so upside down to the culture they were in, so other, that to an occupied Israel, he would push back on so much of their assumptions and teachings of the time. So often he would best the religious elite. So often he would push back on the powers of the ruling class and leave them dumbfounded, often calling them out, exposing their hypocrisy and exposing their misunderstandings. They were embarrassed over and over again. How embarrassed? They were embarrassed enough to come together with enemies to try to catch Jesus, to try to stump Jesus. The Pharisees, in verse 15 that we see, uh, they are with the Herodians. They're getting together, trying to trap Jesus with the riddle and question of the day. And what was crafted as this impossible question with no good answer. Uh, But this wasn't for fun or curiosity to see who could win a contest. Uh, This was life or death. They knew what they were doing. They wanted to get rid of Jesus for good. Enemies. The Pharisees, according to Josephus, prior to Jesus, they were thought highly of. They were revered. They were respected. They were liked. They were popular with the people. They were the in crowd in the power position. They had the backing of the people, but, but they didn't have the military and political backing as the Herodians did. The Herodians had the backing of Rome. By all measures, these Factions, the Pharisees and the Herodians, would not ever have anything to do with each other. They would not want to be aligned with each other unless things were getting really bad. And this was their last resort. They had to stop this Jesus guy. That is the scene that's being captured here. These two people, it was a a true, the enemy of my enemy is my friend moment. They were coming together and they would have never come together before. So who were the Herodians? Who are these people? We don't know much about them. As a matter of fact, this is the first time that we see them in the Gospel of Matthew. Again, according to Josephus, during uh, this time, the dynasty of the Herodians, the people of the Herodians, they were considered brutal. They were awful. 
They were a direct puppet of Rome. It was a brutal dynasty. Herod the Great was crowned king of Jerusalem in Rome by a Roman senate. Not in Jerusalem, but in Rome. And then he was placed in Jerusalem with all the Roman power, with Roman guard. So everyone, when they thought of Herod, they thought of a puppet of Rome. You follow me? So for the Pharisees, uh, it would have been unthinkable for the Pharisees, the, the, the power, the, the people. They, they, were, they were that group to be aligned with the Herodians. But here they are. This is that moment. The two groups coming together with a question. With a question. But first, they got to prepare Jesus, right? They got to butter him up a little bit. Did you hear the flattery before they delivered the question? This is ridiculous. Even on my best days, I would have never even tried to do this with a teacher. But here's where they come at him. They say, teacher, we know you are a man of integrity, that you teach the word of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men. You show no partiality. You show no favoritism, right? That's what they have in mind here. Flattery, 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 flattery. And then they throw the grenade. Tell us your opinion. Is it right? to pay taxes to Caesar or not? It's not a small question, by the way. It seems like a small question on this side of it, but this would have been a huge deal during this time. It's a yes or no question, with neither of the answers being good. Talk about the hated poll tax here. Is it okay to pay taxes to Caesar? That was customary of every Roman subject, and it symbolized submission to Rome. If Jesus had simply said, yes, pay the tax, he would have alienated the majority of the people. And if he would have said no, then the Herodians, again, remember, with the backing of the Roman guards, they would have arrested him and accused him of treason and had the backing of Rome to do so. Jesus, recognizing this trap, he says, and showing them their evil intent, he called them hypocrites. He said, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin." used for paying the tax, and they brought him a denarius, and he answered, or he asked them, whose likeness is this, whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And let's pause here real quick. You might need some history on, on this context. Jesus says, show me the denarius, show me this coin for the tax. Now, he's referring to a very particular coin uh, during this time. As a matter of fact, if you wanted to go home and Google this, AD 14 all the way to 37 BC, you can see this coin yourself. They still exist, this denarius. Uh, on this coin, there was stamped on one side of it, it was a face of the emperor. Again, you can go home and check this out. The face of the emperor was Emperor Caesar Tiberius. And he produced so many of these coins that we still have them today. And with it on that profile was also an inscription. The inscription said this, Caesar Augustus Tiberius, son of divine Augustus. Son of the divine Augustus. Now think about this for a second. Jesus asked them, hey, show me that coin, the coin you're holding in your hand with the graven image of a Roman emperor on it. That alone would have caused issue for Jews. Exodus 24 talks about not creating any graven images for the people of God. So here they are with an engraved image. You with me? And then the words, the inscription. The emperor called himself, did you catch it? The son of God. 
Prior to Tiberius, the, the, the two Caesars, Rome had elevated them to God's status. So Julius Caesar and Caesar Augustus, which was the adopted father of Tiberius. So both of these people were elevated in Rome in the imperial cult as gods themselves. And so inscribed on this coin, it said, Caesar Augustus Tiberius, the son of God. They handed this coin to Jesus. The religious elite. This engraved coin with this inscription. You hopefully at this point see the irony and the hypocrisy. Now in this context, think about the political and the theological ramifications of this tax being paid to Caesar. And so Jesus does what Jesus does, and he throws out his judo moves, right? He uses their own force and their own argument against them, and he does something ingenious, especially with the word choice, and it was very specific, the word choice. He takes the coin with all that's written on it, and he asks the question, whose likeness and whose inscription is on the coin? And they say Caesar's. And he said, well, render therefore to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Now, most of us recognize here Jesus, in a very shrewd way, was giving permission to pay the tax to Caesar, saying that the money can go to Caesar. It can lawfully be paid to Caesar. And for a while, I'll argue, this was one of the examples that that Christians would use to teach uh, people to be dutiful to the state and pay their taxes. It would be reworded something like this, now give to the state what is due the state and be contributing members of society. Now, let's be honest here. There's a little bit of that in here. But there are better passages to make that argument with. Because the reality of what's going on with Jesus, what's so subversive about Jesus' answer here, was he was pushing into something so much bigger than just simply paying taxes. He was driving at the heart of a bigger question. So don't get hung up on the tax question here. Don't be thinking in the back of your mind, they're screaming, no taxation without representation. That, that runs in our blood. Don't, don't go there. There's something so much bigger going on here with Jesus. There's something so much bigger that he is pushing back in his very specific rebuttal. The words Jesus used were intentional. Whose likeness and inscription is on the coin. The Greek word here is ekon, which is where we get the word icon, which means likeness. So when he says the icon of Caesar means that the coin belongs to Caesar, he is alluding to another occurrence of that word likeness or icon. You might be thinking Genesis right now. Hopefully you're thinking Genesis where you remember in the Old Testament in Genesis 1, 26 through 27, God said when he made man, he made them in his icon, in his image and in his likeness. Do you hear that word? The likeness of God. What is the thing that God made? That we are. We are literally icons of the creator. We bear the image and likeness of God. Jesus is essentially saying to the Pharisees in response, is give your money to Caesar, but what is more, you need to give your life, your all, everything that you are, you need to give that to God. Verse 22 says this, when they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and they went away. Give to God what is God's. Let's dig in here. 
uh, we point to the creation story. We see a God who in his generosity and in his creativity, he creates. It's an overflow of who he is. God who looks on his creation and says it's good, but then God who looks on his crown jewel of creation, humanity, and says it is very, very good. And then the writer of Genesis breaks out into the very first poem where we get this line, this likeness. It's a poem. And it says this, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. The likeness, image, the likeness, you see this. He created us male and female. God created humanity uniquely in all of creation, as special as set apart, created in his image, created in his likeness. To be in right relationship with him. And to rightly bear his image to all the earth. To be fruitful and multiply. Those were the very first uh, commandments given to humanity. Be fruitful and multiply. Wherever you go, you will, you will image me. You will show my likeness to the entire world. And the entire world will see how beautiful and creative and generous and good God is. Then the story of redemption goes like this. Sin entered into the world and with it, brokenness and death. God, true to his character and his generosity, though, he sends Jesus into the world to set the world back to rights. To rightly image God to the world and restore relationship with this broken creation. Through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, we celebrate that every single week. We can't talk about that enough. This is what Jesus did and what he did for us. Jesus making a way for us to be truly human again and for us to rightly reflect our creator again, as we were always intended to do. We celebrate this every week. So this coin, the denarius, that held the inscription in the likeness of Caesar. The people would carry this with them in their pockets. And everywhere they went with this coin, they would be reminded, every time they saw this coin, every time they used this coin, they would be reminded that they were under Roman rule. They would be reminded that this coin would serve to remind them that their king, their God, was Rome. Do you with me? That's what's going on here. That's this moment. But Jesus says, give to God what is God's. We were created to be image bearers of God, to be in relationship with God, uniquely expressing God. So no matter where we would go, people would see us and they would recognize the beauty and the majesty of our creator, God. As we humanity do that, we are also showing all of the world who our God and who our king is and who we are under his authority and rule, his lordship. So when Jesus' opponents would have heard this, they would have been amazed. Amazed at what? Getting beat in a trivia game? Getting bested at a riddle? Or getting exposed in their hypocrisy? Because they know that they weren't giving God everything that God was due. Giving God what is God's is a call to surrender. It's a call to stop playing games. It's a call to return to the God who uniquely created us, to a king, and, and to live as one under his lordship. The Pharisees and the Herodians, they were thinking way too much 
about this small, trivial thing, this small thing. Jesus went big picture on them. Often we, when we think about our own lives and we think about our big questions, they're too small. Jesus won't let us stay there, though. Give to God what is God's. This is our call. All of you, body, soul, mind, body, all of your strength, give it all to God. Hey, confession. I'm good at compartmentalizing. I would argue we're all really good at compartmentalizing. We've been practicing this skill since birth. And one of the myths of the modern world uh, was that certain things should be compartmentalized and left at home. There is a, a space that is secular, a space that is sacred, and they should be distinct. They're antithetical. They don't belong together. And so we compartmentalize. This shift, though, isn't new. This shift's been going on for a couple hundred years, but we live in this reality, live in this world as if this is normal. This is not the way things have ever been before the past 500 years. This is a new shift. This is one of the things that Lewis talks about in Screwtape. He's been pulling apart for us throughout our time. And when he talks about church culture, when he talks about our friend groups, when he talks about flippancy, when he talks about balance, where the enemy wants us to think, wants the patient to think that if we just compartmentalize, that's normal. We can compartmentalize Christianity away and just come to church on Sunday and we're good. We get a check in the box or a gold sticker on our chart. Screwtape would love for the patient, for us to feel satisfied with such a state, with such a mindset where somehow we're living a balanced life. Though it's full of fear, full of hypocrisy, and full of the world. Give to God what is God's. All of your life. Full surrender, full stop. Give to God what is God's. It's a full reorienting. From your way of life to Christ's. Your work life, your home life, your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, your walking around life, it's giving it all to God and trusting in and resting in the finished work of Christ and orienting our life around Him. Where our faith is built and worked out throughout all of our day. It's always been this way. This has always been the way that our faith was supposed to be lived out. Uh, one of the foundational verses from our Jewish forebears was Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. They called it the Shema. And it says this, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all of who you are. Give to God everything. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commandments I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, your everyday going around life. Talk about them when you are at home, when you're about to go to bed, when you're getting up, in the morning, in the evening, throughout the day. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as a reminder. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates so that every time you walk in and out of a door, you would be reminded of the story of God and who God is. This is the whole of life. Give to God what is God's. 
Jesus took a question about taxes and politics. And he flipped it on its head. And he said, follow me with all of who you are. He said, do as I do. Live as I live. Love as I love. And repeat. Pass this on. Pass this on. There's a better way to do life. There's a better way to love Jesus. There's a better way to love your community. Pass this on. Tell your brothers. Tell your sisters. Tell your mother. Tell your father. Tell your kids. Tell your grandkids. Tell your grandkids' grandkids'. And let this be something that you're always aware of throughout all the time of the day in anything that you do, even when you're walking in and out of doors. May this be on the forefront of your mind that you trust God with the whole of your life and that you give God the whole of your life. Paul, in our first reading, had the same word for us. Did you hear it? He said, be imitators of the Lord. Imitators, image bearers. Paul encourages the Thessalonians. He said, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Even though you received the word in much suffering, you received it with the joy of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came on them. In the midst of hard circumstances, in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of heartache, in the midst of sadness, in the midst of persecution. And because of this, because of this, what, what happened in Thessalonia and throughout the countryside, because of this, you became an example for all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith is known and has gone everywhere. You've become rightly reflected image bearers of God everywhere you go. You see that picture? The Pharisees and the Herodians, they came at Jesus hoping to get him stuck in the argument of the day. Jesus goes bigger with an argument for eternity. The Thessalonians, they knew this firsthand because God's love had been poured into their hearts by the Holy Spirit that was within them. And everyone took notice. This Holy Spirit, which has been given to us, that his joy can be shown in our lives as well, day in and day out, wherever we go with whoever we meet. The Holy Spirit has been given us, friends. And here's the question we come back to a lot in our house. Here's the question I want us to end with. How do people experience you? Fearful? Do they experience you worried, run down, flippant, angry, apathetic? Do they experience you parsing technicalities to justify your own desire? Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? How do they experience you? Joyful? Full of peace? Are you a non-anxious presence in whatever room you go to? A fully surrendered life? Are you an imitator and follower of Christ? Are you holding out purpose? Are you holding out peace? Are you holding out life and light? Are you holding out a better way to do life, the way of Jesus for our community, for our world to see? Are you infused with patience and hope? Am I? 
Because the Holy Spirit's indwelling, the Holy Spirit's presence, it works this out in us. And so when people see and experience us as we have been sanctified and are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit and what it is doing, we look and we feel and we sound a lot more like Jesus every single day. So whatever room we go into, the Holy Spirit's room goes with us. And we go remembering and echoing the words of Jesus from John 16. No matter the circumstance, no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's going on, Jesus said to his disciples, you're going to experience trouble, but take heart. May you know my peace because I have overcome the world. In Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Let us give to God what is God's. Let us look different in this community. Let us experience God in a new way today, this morning, this afternoon, this evening, this week, this month, this year, so that everywhere we go and everyone we see and meet, they might might know Jesus as well. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, how you love us. How you show us this love. You made a way for us to call you Abba. You made a way for us to call you Father. You made a way to restore our lives in relationship to you. And you poured your Holy Spirit in your people to encourage, to empower, to make us come alive, to make us new. Do that in us. Enable us to give us all of ourselves to you. Full surrender, full stop. God, we want more of you. Today and every day in our everyday life. Make us look different. Make us come alive. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.